Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Well, we have a lot of good clips for you today. We have CNBC Steve Leesman pointing out that the jobs report, you know, it's been getting a, a, a bad rap and he explains why. And we also talk a little bit about inflation. Uh, the news panel uh, talks about we have a news panel that talks about, hey, maybe we covered Donald Trump incorrectly. Joe Biden uh, early or late last week had what I would consider sort of a home run in uh, the speech that he gave. I'm not talking about the voter speech, but the other speech, more of an economic speech. I want you to take a listen to that. We're going to talk about an exasperated, finally, Chuck Todd, who handles a Republican congressman and finally says, sir, are you crazy? He didn't quite say it that way, but that's what he wanted to say. Then, of course, we have Adam uh, Adam Kissinger and Liz Cheney, who uh, really ex- uh, excoriate their party for uh, their sycophancy with Donald Trump and the January 6th terrorist attack on the United States Capitol. Actually, it's not on the United States Capitol. It's on the entire confounded United States. Anybody who attacks the Capitol, the bastion of our democracy, they're attacking the United States of America. And then uh, lastly but not least, we have Alison Gaines, an interview I did a few weeks ago that I wanted to play, How to Disband Yourself from those in your family that turns out to be racist, I'm not saying, uh, in a manner that gives them a chance first to say, I will join humanity. And if they don't, should you really leave them alone? Irrespective of who they are? I think so. But anyhow, there's something that's really pulling on my chains right now. And it has to do with the report that I saw. The... uh, the, on, on the approval rating for Biden. Look, <clears throat> all of you who know me know I'm very progressive, know that I'm, you know, my first choice for the presidency was uh, Bernie Sanders because he had the progressive values that we really wanted from an economic standpoint. And, and Joe Biden, in our opinion, wasn't quite there, but Joe Biden surprised us all by supporting Build Back Better. Build Back Better was much better than we thought. And from the stimulus that came, the, the rescue plan, and all these other, the guy has done a great job economically. Economically, we have never recovered this fast. And yet, his poll numbers, according to the Quinnipiac poll, has dropped to 33%. From somebody who has never been a like super supporter of Biden, 
I want Biden's support at way north of 50% because he earned it. What's wrong with America that has allowed the right wing to set a narrative to hurt this guy's poll numbers and to have one believe that he isn't as successful as he is? You can get any one of my books as a gift for becoming a member of KPFT. Go to kpft.org, click that donate button, select Politics Done Right as the show you're supporting, and go into the gift area and select As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right Wing Doom, or you can also get It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, or go to How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. If you get one book, it gives you one particular membership price. Two books, you get a discount. And three books, you get an even better discount. So please consider becoming a member of KPFT. And in the process, you get the gifts of the books. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what that nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. Anyhow, folks, let's go ahead. Let's get busy. You know, everybody looked at the jobs report and they're, oh, it's, it's a lot less people than, 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 it, than it should be. Of course, we know that all these job reports have been, uh, the, the, the number of people got employed have been going up by quite a bit, much more than what's shown on, as the official initial number that goes up quite a bit. But it's even deeper than that. We have a change in the way the economy runs. But you know who gets it? Leesman does. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Steve, walk me through this number. It's confusing. There's two different reports here that people need to know about. There's one report that gets data from the from the employers. Another report where the government calls up people and asks them their status. The number you're looking at right now, that's from the payroll report. That's 199,000. That number has been running very low on the initial reporting. And what they're doing is they've been revising up continuously this initial report. I'll give you an example. They added back... 141,000 additional jobs to October, November. The number underneath that number, the unemployment rate, comes from the household survey. I think at the end of the day, Stephanie, people should not be overly confused or overwhelmed by the data. The unemployment rate is what you need to know. It tells you the number of people who want to work and the number of people who are unemployed. You had a 480,000 decline in the number of unemployed. You had uh, a huge number of people employed in the household survey. So I think every other piece of data that I see says this job market is strong and that top line payroll number of 199,000 is not going to deter me from that uh, um, from that conclusion because so many employers are saying jobs are hard to get. That quit number you talked about tells me that the labor market is tight and I'm not going to be deterred by that top line number. 
it is great to see the, the the worker gaining their independence. A lot of them are working from home. 60 Minutes did a piece today where they saw people just take they're creating their own jobs. They're 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 mixing and matching different jobs, different employers together that are that giving them 1099 type salaries. Look. It's a worker's world and it should remain a worker's world, not indefinitely, but permanently. Uh, this, this jobs report, again, it's the jobs report based on, uh, based on the employer given wages. What about those folks who've decided to do it a different way? It's, it's going very well. So don't be fooled by the jobs report. Don't allow yourself to get the belief that somehow progressives and Democrats and Biden are bad for jobs. Because the reality is, if you want jobs, if you take a look at under what types of administrations the most jobs are created, let's remember that it's definitely not that of the right. Because again, that methodology creates very little and it transfers much to those who least work for it and least deserve it. The musing of the mainstream media. They are in such shock, such shock of what's happening. You know, if we had only known what Donald Trump was really about. You see, we just kind of looked at him as a buffoon and we had some fun with him. This is a person that was going to become the president of the United States. And when all of our us activists were out there sounding the alarms, they were giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. They were actually making believe that this guy was actually really the president of the United States. We all knew when Donald Trump was in office, the damn country was on autopilot and he was just doing his acting role. And the people in the background were doing their job as many of his sycophants corrupted, destroyed the inner workings of government. Listen to them talk about it now. It's just astounding. As the year has gone on, just look at the former president today. You know, he's still trying to call November 3rd an insurrection. You know, this is the former president of the United States. More importantly, the former leader of the what we used to say, the former leader of the free world. I don't think he believes in a free world. I'm sorry. And, and that's the thing. I think that's the we had a, we basically now know that of our presidents, we have one who doesn't believe in America. And I know that seems hyperbolic to say this and all that. I'm sorry. There's just no other. other he, Can you he, call him an anti-democratic? Small D democratic person. And the thing is, candidate for 2024. What's always been really, I think, why we've all misjudged the seriousness over time with Donald Trump is there's a buffoonery to him at all times that you're like, well, it's an act or it's this. Right. You covered him during that campaign and, and, and he would play that game. You know, I don't he tried to let reporters know I don't buy on this. I'm just feeding them what they want. He's now it's it's now toxic and you have to take it serious. Peter Navarro is an unserious person who had the levers of power to do a serious act against this country. And I think that all more of us in the mainstream media have to wake up to the fact that, yes, it's a series of knuckleheads. But it was a series of knuckleheads who actually were willing to. Uh, that, that the former president weaponized. Well, I don't we're actually think, willing to do this. You know, and I don't think that we mistook the seriousness of what he represents since election week when he refused to concede. Yeah. And I think since that moment, there was no doubt as to who this person is. We 
spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. Let's get this right. We just now know is what Chuck Todd said. Uh, Andrea Mitchell says, well, we started to take him seriously after he didn't concede. What happened in that four years that we have been pointing out how destructively dangerous this guy was? You guys are the mainstream media, the people who report what others are there to see. We, the activists, were trying to tell you for years, years from before the election, not that this guy was toxic, not that this guy was dumb, not that this guy was corrupt, that this guy was all of the above. And you're saying you just know now and that after he didn't concede is when you finally decided to take him seriously. That is the reason, folks, why we talk about the needing a different kind of media. All these guys are chummy together. They have fun with Trump and all of that. Now, you know what? Many, much, many of them in the media are realizing that Trump is an existential danger to the mainstream media. That is why the mainstream media has finally come up. They could, they could live. They could live with what's going on. They could, because, you know, they're going to be highly paid for a long time, no matter which side wins. It doesn't really matter to them whether they, healthcare is, uh, whether, whether people get good healthcare, childcare, whether people get good retirement, all of that. It doesn't matter to them. They are a part of an elite system where, hey, they're paid. No matter who wins, they're okay. But Trump now presents an existential problem to the media because now that we're talking about real turning, bad, crazy fascists, now they can only talk what the fascists want them to talk. And they're seeing the letters on the wall and they're seeing that there's a sect in this American population that they are cherishing the thought of a fascist because that sect of that population think that they will be a part of the fascist system that will be leading. And they're the ones that the fascist system will take care of. Well, folks, when the fascist system is established, you're all a meal to that system. The mainstream media is starting to find that out. They're starting to cover the fascists as they should, as they should have done long time ago. But the people that are supporting the fascists, if they ever get their will, you will get yours. I've been speaking for a long time about Democrats and talking about what was accomplished. And you know what? I finally am watching Biden come out of his shell and start promoting and start letting folks understand what he has done. You know, yesterday on one of my shows, people started to say, why is Biden's economy so terrible? And what is he going to do about it? Trying to put uh, progressives and Democrats on the defensive. And I said, we need to lean into what these clowns are talking about. When I say clowns, I'm talking about the Republican leadership that's misleading their party at large. The reality is the uh, Biden administration, even with without complete uh, con- uh, with complete homogeneity within the party, has been able to do quite a bit. First of all, getting us out of the funk created by the COVID, uh, the COVID recession. I mean, we came out of it faster than any other 
administration have come out of something of this nature. Uh, wages are up. All these, all the positives that one can think of is there. So I'm telling uh, those who are running for uh, for uh, office, lean into the question. In other words, go ahead and tell folks we support what's occurring, and this is what we have done. But there's one more important thing that has to be done, and Biden did it in this speech. I want you to listen to this, and then we'll take it on the other side. Record unemployment declines, record increases in the people in the labor force. I would argue the Biden economic plan is working and is getting America back to work, back on its feet. But the record doesn't stop there. Today's report also tells us that record wage gains, especially for workers in some of America's toughest jobs, women and men who work in the frontline jobs in restaurants, hotels, travel, tourism, desk clerks, line cooks, waitstaff, bellmen, they all saw their wages at a historic high, the highest in history. Their pay went up almost 16% this year, far ahead of inflation, which is still a concern. Overall, wage gains for all workers who are not supervisors went up more in 2021 than any year in four decades. There's been a lot of press coverage about people quitting their jobs. Well, today's report tells you why. Americans are moving up to better jobs with better pay with better benefits. That's why they're quitting their job. This isn't about workers walking away and refusing to work. It's about workers able to take a step up, provide for themselves and their family. This is the kind of recovery I promised and hoped for for the American people, where the biggest benefits go to the people who work the hardest and are more often left behind. The people who have been ignored before, the people who just want a decent chance to build a decent life for their family. Just give it a clear shot. For them, wages are up, job opportunities are up, layoffs are down to the lowest levels in decades, and there are more chances than ever to get ahead. No wonder one leading economic analyst described what we've accomplished in 2021 as the strongest first-year economic track record of any president in the last 50 years. Today, America is the only leading economy in the world where the economy as a whole is stronger than before the pandemic. Now I hear Republicans say today that uh, my talking about this strong record shows that I don't understand. A lot of people are still suffering, they say. Well, they are. Or that I'm not focused on inflation. Malarkey. They want to talk down the recovery because they voted against the legislation that made it happen. They voted against the tax cuts for middle class families. They voted against the funds we needed to reopen our schools to keep police officers and firefighters on the job to lower health care premiums. They voted against the funds we're now using to buy COVID booster shots, and more antiviral pills. I refuse to let them stand in the way of this recovery. And now my focus is on keeping this recovery strong and durable, notwithstanding Republican obstructionism. And even as jobs and families' incomes have recovered, families are still feeling the pinch of prices and costs. So we're taking that on as well. And the way to do that is not to step back from the economic progress we made, but to build on it. I've laid out a three-part plan to address costs families are facing. One, first part of that plan, fixing the supply chain. Two, protecting consumers and promoting competition. Three, lowering kitchen table costs, including with my Build Back Better Act. Notice what Biden did. He first came and said, the economy is doing fine. Everything is working right, right, but we are going to go ahead and do more. In as much as uh, the, the, uh, the wages are up, 
uh, inflation may be a problem and we are going to solve that problem because he doesn't say it the way I normally do. I always talk about the reason we have inflation is because of corporate greed. Corporations have a t uh, uh, the opportunity to gouge people and that's what capitalism does. They only care about their shareholders. They only care about the executive uh, bonuses, etc. Biden didn't go into all of that. Biden just said one thing. He said, capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. Now, Joe Biden is wrong there. Capitalism tries to get rid of competition because it is their goal to maximize the profit of their shareholders and maximize the profit of the, uh, the, the bonuses of their executives. And as such, monopoly, monopoly is what's important. So therefore, in a capitalist society, the capitalist structure tries to monopolize everything. That is by design. That is what it says. I want to do whatever is necessary to make the most profit for my shareholders, no matter what it takes. Now, when the president says capitalism isn't capitalism without, uh, isn't capitalism if it doesn't have competition, he's wrong. What he means is capitalism doesn't allow competition. What we want is free enterprise. We all have the, within our democracy, the ability to participate and in doing so, Things work much more efficiently. We also get more, in, in the case of um, prices, we have price competition the way it is really intended to be. Now, but importantly, what else did Biden do? He pointed out that absolutely all the policies that got us out of the recession, all the policies that put, took kids out of poverty, all the policies that reinflated the economy, the Republicans all voted against it. So therefore, do not be fooled. Had it been for Republicans, this economy would have still been in the gutter. And that is what needs to be promoted during the election. The failure of Republicans for any economic policy to make it, to give a positive economics, uh, economic outcome to the American people. And if they were to attempt to elect those people, that is what they'll get and note what has happened under the current administration. And it is important. It is very important for every single Democrat to lean into what was done and not allow, not allow Republicans to put them on the defensive. It is time that Democrats put Republicans on the defensive for not being a part of the solution that has inflated this particular economy, that has made the wages better, that has given other people, workers, the opportunity to say, you know what? If you're not going to pay me, I am not staying. I want you to listen to a congressman that can only be described as a coward and as pathetic in these serious times that he cannot go against a traitor to this country. Check this out, and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. A year ago in a few days, you came on this show and I asked you about January 6th, and you said the following. I'm going to continue to listen uh, to those 74 million uh, voices that voted for him. But of the 74 million, uh, the, the small percentage that stormed the Capitol and engaged in that insurrection that were Trump supporters, I will tell them, there's no place in the Republican Party for you. Here we are nearly a, a year later, Congressman, and the former president put out a release today that said to watch Biden speaking is very hurtful to many people. They're the ones who tried to stop the peaceful transfer 
with a rigged election. Never forget the crime of the 2020 presidential election. Never give up. That's the former president. How did it get so off kilter here in your party? No, I will tell you, I, I don't know. Uh, other than I continue to be a voice to say, if you believe violence and engaging in what happened on January 6th is the way to resolve your dispute uh, with an election, uh, I turn my back on you. What it's going to take, Chuck, is it's going to take leadership. And it's going to take leadership on both sides of the aisle to say, you know what, enough is enough of this extremism. I have to say, I hear the words, well, it's incumbent on both sides of the aisle. There's one party that seems to take what happened on January 6th seriously, and there's one party that does not seem to. Isn't this incumbent on Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell? It's incumbent upon all leaders in Washington, D.C. to step forward, to condemn rightfully what happened on January 6th, like I'm condemning right now. What about the run-up? I mean, what the former president did. I mean, I look at January 6th, and on that day, I wanted to believe it was a bunch of misled hooligans who didn't fully appreciate what was going on. And the more we learn, it's like, no, there was a little more concerted effort here and a lot more organized effort to try to overturn this election. But it's not 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump, as we were talking about a year ago, a vocal minority of extremists took it into their own thought process and power to do what they did. And to me, that is what has to be objected to. You are a co-chair of Trump's presidential campaign. Do you regret that position now, considering his behavior? No, why? I, I don't, because he brought the disruption to Washington, D.C. that needs to be brought. I still respect the voice that he brought to Washington and the forgotten men and women that he listened to. Would you trust him again with the keys to this democracy? You know, I leave that to the American people. You have a vote in that. Do. Your constituents ask you, I do. are you willing to hand the keys to the democracy to this man again? I want I want to have an open and contest on ideas and inspiration. If President Trump is the candidate that's representing the Republican Party, I will support him. So you're willing to put the, I, I want to repeat what the former president said today, Congressman. He says they're the ones who tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power with a rigged election. He's calling the 2020 election a, a crime. I believe it was a crime. And Chuck, that will be part of the process. You know, this sounds like a lot of elected Republicans I talk to who are afraid of of telling their supporters what they don't want to hear, which is that Donald Trump is lying to them. Have you told your supporters that Donald Trump is lying to them about the 2020 election? I'll be very clear with you, Chuck. I believe the election of 2020 uh, was a duly held election. The results were duly certified. You used the word fair just now, but you wouldn't use it in describing the 2020 election. You said duly and not fair. And it's a it's a distinction that I notice a lot of elected Republicans who are trying to appease Trump or Trump supporters mm -hmm. say. Why do you do that? Well, I will tell you, in 2020, it, it was a fair election in the sense that the rules using COVID were changed and the Democrats were, to their credit, they were much better at getting their voters to the polls. Again, it sounds like you're trying to put an asterisk on the 2020 election, which only feeds this conspiracy nonsense that is wrecking this country. Why did we have what we had here a year ago was this conspiratorial nonsense that leads people to the idea that there's something to this. There was nothing to it, this. It's not conspiracy. They changed the rules legally. Does it bother you at all that the Republican Party is no longer a conservative party, but a cult of personality right now? Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that assessment. We, I mean, uh, I have to give it to Chuck Todd. He really let uh, the congressman Reed have it this time. You know, several times he appeases Republicans, but this time he let him have it. And what the congressman has proven 
is that even at, even in retirement, because I don't think he's serving another term, even in retirement, Donald Trump has a stronghold on them because they're looking at their future. They want to make sure that they do absolutely nothing to disrupt their particular presence in the Republican uh, Republican establishment. So what's the Republican establishment right now? Donald Trump. I think the only solution ultimately we're going to have is for those that are never Trumpers and the other Republicans that are sensible, that really want to maintain democracy, for them to form another party, a party that of their own, in which for the time being, they ally with Democrats until that separation is needed again after our democracy has once again been secured. It's hard to believe that, the, that Ted Cruz, this cocky, mouthy, obnoxious senator that somehow thinks he's smarter than anybody else could be made to grovel the way he did with uh, Tucker Carlson recently. Well, you know what? Let's present Ari Melber's instantiation of the three stages of Ted Cruz. This story reveals a picture of the current Republican Party and a warning about the authoritarianism rising on the American right. Republican leaders know Trump is lying. They know how dangerous he is. They know the combination of lies, ego, and emotional temperament can pose a real danger, as Cruz himself warned so heated in 2016. This man is a pathological liar. What Donald does when he loses is he blames everybody else. It's never Donald's fault. Donald, you're a sniveling coward. He engages in insults. I think the people are interested in substance and record. Look, we need a commander-in-chief, not a Twitterer-in-chief. The man cannot tell the truth, but he combines it with being a narcissist. The man is utterly amoral. His reaction to everything is to throw a fit. Donald finds it very hard to lose. That, that, that he finds that very difficult for him. That's where Cruz started, speaking there to largely Republican audiences and expressing things that he did not find controversial in the least. When Trump won the nomination, Cruz was still dubious enough about Trump as a potential president that Ted Cruz famously went to the RNC, got up on the podium and refused to endorse Trump. And then as Trump solidified his grip on power, Cruz has publicly completely owned himself. He endorsed Trump. He campaigned with him. He defended every Trump action in office. And then after Trump lost to Biden and after Trump kept attacking the election, something Cruz knew all about from his own experience, it was then Ted Cruz who led the futile effort to challenge certification of the Biden victory on the Senate floor. We've seen in the last two months unprecedented allegations of voter fraud. And we have an obligation to the Constitution to ensure that this election was lawful. What does it say to the nearly half the country that believes this election was rigged if we vote not even to consider the claims of illegality and fraud in this election? Conduct a 10-day emergency audit. Consider the evidence. And what would 10 more days of sham reviews achieve? We are hearing from Trump's own White House aides. Cruz was leading a more complex authoritarian play. The plan was simply this. We had uh, over 100 congressmen and senators on Capitol Hill ready to implement the sweep. At 1 p.m., Senator Ted Cruz and Gosart, a representative, started the Green Bay sweep beautifully, challenging the results of Arizona. This week, Cruz referred to that fact of a violent terrorist attack. We are approaching a solemn anniversary this week, uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage. 
very straightforward recent historical truth that you just heard him say in his own words on Wednesday drew huge backlash from the right wing big lie movement attacking Cruz or accurately referring to the truth of those crimes, the domestic terror and the violence. Cruz immediately folded, rushing to recant everything in a very sad interview. The way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy and, and it was frankly dumb. And I don't and buy that. Result, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't buy that. Look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. I do not believe that you use that accidentally. I just don't. It's, so, Tucker, as a result of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. I wasn't saying that the thousands of peaceful protesters supporting Donald Trump are somehow terrorists. Ted Cruz went from the senator who would supposedly stand up to Trump and the threat that he said Trump posed, the lies, the amorality, as Cruz called it, the attack on democracy. He went from that to a Trump supporter, then Trump enabler, then a Trump accomplice in trying to end democracy. And then now with crimes on the table. He's Trump's chief lying propagandist. It would be ridiculous for me to be saying that the people standing up and protesting to follow the law were somehow terrorists. If you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. That's who I was talking about. I used that word all in 2020 for the Antifa and BLM terrorists that assaulted cops. I wasn't saying the millions of, of, of patriots across the country supporting President Trump are terrorists. I agree with you. It was a mistake to say that yesterday. They want to paint us as Nazis. I'm the one leading the fight in the Senate against this garbage. We, oh, he's leaving. He's one fighting for the American people. Of course, Ted Cruz is only fighting for himself. The only reason he's groveling with, the, uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson is because he wants to be president and he thinks he can only be president if he can get the Trump base to stay with him. So don't be fooled at all, folks. This is a concerted effort by Ted Cruz to remain relevant relative to Donald Trump. Uh, with the expectation that if he continues to be relevant relative to Donald Trump, that he will own Donald Trump votes, and you just have to fight for a little bit more. Here's the deal. The guy was a part of the coup, and as part of the coup, he should be tried and thrown into jail, the key locked away. Liz Cheney did it one more time, this time on CNN. She had uh, some truth telling about her party. You know, before I get in, before I show the video, it's a real short clip. I think uh, of everyone that I've seen thus far throughout this January 6th insurrection and the way it's been critiqued, etc. I don't think there is a person, woman or man, that has come out as strong as she has and come out as deliberate as she has in attacking not only President Trump, but the Republican Party for what it is actually doing. Now, look, I am diametrically opposed to Liz Cheney's social and economic policies. But when it comes to something existential for a country's democracy, I think uh, she has shown what needs to be done right here. And I think everybody needs to take her lead and be not on the attack but ensure that these guys don't do what they're doing. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Chairman and I are on very different ends of the political spectrum, and there are many things on which we don't agree. Um, but but we both agree that that you have to have healthy political parties in this country so we can engage in that debate on those issues. And right now, my party um, uh, is is not. Uh, embracing truth is not embracing um, substance uh, and seriousness. 
Now, there is a faction in the Republican Party that knows better. And um, they, they know better, but they will continue to accept the lies because of what again? Power. They think that, they, well, that they think, they know that the only way a party who does not have majority support, a party whose policies is anathema to that of, uh, of the middle class and the poor cannot win. The number says it all. Only one person, one president, one Republican presidential candidate has garnered a popular majority in the last over 20 years. And that was, uh, I guess, uh, actually in the, it's one time in the last over 20 years. And that was George Bush too. And that was during a war. So let's, let's be clear here. It is absolutely, it's, it's absolutely brave of her to do what she's doing here because she could kowtow and she could just go ahead and do what everybody else is doing. All the men in her party and most of the men in her party, the strong men in her party, they're following the lead of Trump. She could. She didn't. Kudos to Liz Cheney. I've been giving a lot of kudos to uh, Liz Cheney recently because she has really shown some leadership in trying to uh, make uh, put Donald Trump and, and his sycophants to account for January 6th. Well, guess what? There's another Republican that is out there making waves and telling the truth. I want you to listen to him and then we'll take it on the other side. You and I spoke uh, exactly one year ago today. It was January 7th, 2021, the day after the attack. Um, and we talked about the political climate and what you thought needed to happen. I want to play for people what you said a year ago, Congressman. Yesterday, it became clear that the president is unmoored uh, from reality and from his oath. And I think the vice president taking over and ensuring that the next couple of weeks are a peaceful transfer is essential right now to the continuation of this strong union. I think it's obvious that there are people that their own political survival demands that they create a different narrative to what happened yesterday and creating a different narrative is going to lead to something like this happening again or maybe worse. Now, you saw what happened yesterday. Um, I know that you were not there because I know your baby is going to come any day now. You are on labor watch. The Cheneys were the only Republicans who were seen at a commemoration event at the Capitol. Given where we are a year later, do you recognize your party? No, I, I don't. And, you know, it's it's gotten to a point where, you know, when I was six years old, I, I became a Republican because I liked the idea of strong national defense, you know, limited government. I still believe in that. But what has changed is the use of conspiracy, the absolute lack of courage to call it out, uh, the fear that permeates leaders of the Republican Party against a man that is basically insane, you know, sending out press releases from Mar-a-Lago. Um, it's unrecognizable. And, and it's sad because the Republican Party will exist. And, and it's a major political party in the United States. We need conservative voices out there as well. And but it is it is lost in a lot of people's minds, any credibility. And it's going to take a while to get it back. We've got look, we have a, a truth crisis in this party. And that is the first thing we have to get back to is truth. You can have different opinions, but you can't have a different truth. Uh, Kinsinger is not kidding. The Republican, of course, we all know has have a truth problem, but he also has the courage to not only say we need to start telling the truth and it's going to take a while for us to recover from that, but he also made mention of something we all know. Donald Trump is insane. And he laments that for the average Republican leaders, 
to be following the footsteps of the insane is in its own right insane. Today we have a repeat guest, but one who wrote an article that, you know what, suppose so. Alison Gain is a writer, editor, and activist scholar who believes the pen is mightier than the sword. She calls herself on her Twitter page a womanist wife. I told you guys about that before. We didn't talk about that before, but we'll do it. Alison is the founder of WEOC Woke. Not the woke you're thinking about, but writers and founders of color. Thank you so kindly for Given this impromptu interview, Alison, thank you so kindly. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you today? I am doing great. You know, I was uh, thinking about what I'm going to do for my show. I just got through doing the KPFT show and I said, you know, uh, today is Christmas Eve. First of all, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. You know, and then I said, uh, th- then your article popped up on Medium, right? My Medium, you're one of my favorite authors and uh, authors on Medium and it popped up. And I read the title, Step-by-Step Guide to Ditching Your Racist Relatives and Friends. And I said, oh, that's kind of catchy. Let me see what Allison is talking about. <laughs> and I mean, I read it and I'm like, hmm, let me let me get in touch with her. So tell me a little bit, what got you to write in that article, first of all? Well, I know that a lot of people are going home for the holidays and that um, a lot of us have, uh, especially in America right now, people are very divided. And there's a lot of things we're divided about. But one of the things I always draw the line at is racism or discrimination. I feel that we can agree to disagree, but not about human rights. So given that, I wanted to engage in a conversation with other people who felt the same way and maybe who just needed some guidance on how do I go about cutting these people off? And, you know, I I loved it. But um, you you start out by saying um, you want to make sure you identify people who are your racist relatives and friends. How exactly do you do that? So that comes from just, it's a self-reflective exercise. So what I'm really asking them to do is reflect about the people in their life and if there are, because there may not be, if there are racist friends and relatives, write them down and start thinking about why do you personally think that they're racist because you wrote them on the list. And then you can start having a discussion about how that, um, you know, kind of diverges from your values. But first you have to identify them because otherwise you're shooting in the dark. Right. Well, let, let me tell you the, the part that really got to me. Um, you, you, your second point, you said, are your racist relatives, friends and reformable? And the reason I, that got to me and the reason that was actually it's the reason that I really wanted to do this interview, because I consider myself a reformed former sexist a reformed former uh, 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 homophobic person. And if, if, if people, if, if my great uh, friends had just thrown me away, the great women in my life had just said, you are this SOB that came from that part of the world that is really sexist, I would be in trouble. And likewise, if uh, my friends that are uh, gay did the same to me, I would be in trouble. But I learned. And when I saw that piece, I said, ah, you're always leaving that door open to say, unlearn the bad things that you learn. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So that part, I feel like is really important because I didn't want people to write down the names and just say, you're out of here. I want them to really think about, are these people reformable? You know, and, and only they would know that. But the reason why we have to leave that door open is because it allows people to kind of learn and grow. Um, when we set our boundaries, that's our way of encouraging them to do better. But we don't want to give up on people that that could be saved. And I think that as long as we keep that open door, it like it opens the possibility for change. And I feel like that is beautiful and it's worth preserving. Now, um, what does reform really entail? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story and you tell me, uh, you know, when and I, I always use a story about uh, when I knew I honestly was no longer a homophobe, when I knew mentally that being homophobic was wrong. I could, it was meant, it was a mental thing. It was a, it was a intellectual thing, but I really knew I got over my prejudice and this is going to sound corny. I know, but I got over my prejudice when uh, I saw two men kissing and it did absolutely nothing to me. I mean, I'm going to sound terrible. Two women kissing somehow never did anything. That's probably the real, that's probably the, the old sexist portion about me that, that still need reforming. But when it came to men, then I said, wow, I'm honestly doesn't matter. How do we know when somebody has fulfilled reform or is it that as long as you know, they're on the path to reform? I feel like the path for on uh, to reform should be acknowledged, but I feel like what it's individual case studies. So mm -hmm. each individual will be different because like say one person, they're like, well, I don't consider myself a racist, but I'm against voting rights. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't understand how that is, is a racist policy perspective. Them changing that mind would be a sign of their reform. For other people, it could be something a lot more deep seated. Like maybe they don't want their daughter to date a black man. And, that, and, and reforming would mean changing that. So I feel like reform is definitely different for each person but like when you write down on the list like why are they racist them reforming that aspect would be the good sign to me i want to explore something you just said you said like somebody who has a daughter and the daughter uh is dating a black guy and they don't want that uh there are several reasons maybe they they don't want to have to go through the conflict with the rest of the family uh maybe they really like the guy maybe can they be let me put it this way. Can they be not racist and still just because they don't want the conflict, not want the daughter to go out with somebody of a different race or something? It, de it depends on the motivation. If the person um, is not a good guy to date and he just happens to be black, that's not racist. Mm -hmm. But if your reason for not wanting him to date your daughter is because he's black and you tend to think of black men as bad, then that is racist. It really just goes to motive. Mm -hmm. Now, let me let me tell you some something that um, that I've always had an issue with or a problem with. And it goes, uh, can black people or people of color be racist? No. And I know it's a controversial topic, but the reason why is because racism requires a system of power. So black people are capable of bias prejudice and discrimination, but not racism. Now, hypothetically, Black people are, but in order for that to happen, we'd have to be in either an equal society or a society where Black people were dominating, and they would have to use that power, um, that discrimination would have to be empowered. See, racism is about power dynamics, you know, so to me, that's the key thing. Okay, uh, so I, I guess in, in my sense, 
I had never defined racist solely as a power dynamic, but also as, you know, as, as you just not liking somebody of another race. But you're saying it's a lot more complex than that. The word racism is different than the word prejudice based on race. Exactly. And I'm I study discrimination and bias. So um, I think it's important for us to distinguish with bias, which is you have a preference um, discrimination, which is you don't like a certain group. And so you're behaving in a certain way consistent with that bias. Um, prejudice is when you um, when you prejudge someone um, because of their race or their group. But racism, racism in embodies prejudice, discrimination and bias, because without without a system of power, um, racism, the word racism loses all loses all its meaning. Um, we should never support dis- people being discriminatory towards one another. But it is probably problematic when um, white people or other people insist that black people could be racist in a system of white supremacy. And well, let me ask you, it's given that you ha- added the power dynamics. Is that simply a power, simple power dynamic, potential power dy- dynamics or otherwise? Because let, let's give an example, a poor race. And I, I, I know the answer to this, but I, I want to explore it with you. Um, a poor white person in Appalachia who has all, you know, has no power, whatever. Can that person be racist? Yes, because it's not their personal power. So let's be clear. It's their societal power. So when he goes into a a police department, for example, and he is shown preference, he is benefiting from white privilege. Being an impoverished white person doesn't mean that you're not benefiting from white privilege. Um, And that means you are capable of racism in this system. For example, a poor white woman can call the police on a poor black man. And if she is believed over him, then she is abusing her white privilege. Um, And so power dynamics is not just about our personal power. It's about the systemic power because white people don't ask for this power. They have it. And so it's all about how will they choose to use it? And that's what defines whether or not they are racist. Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of the issue right there then is um, who, how and who defines what racism means. And I think uh, that is probably something that has to be made clear. We have to get a common definition of what racism is if all of us are going to look at it the same. Because I, in a, with everything that you've said, right? If I speak to uh, some of my, let's say, white friends uh, they, and, and say uh, race, I, I can I cannot be racist. They'll say, well, can it be possible that a black person just not like white people? And my answer to that is yes. Is yes. That and that is not? that's bigoted. That's bias. That's prejudice. I feel like it's nothing wrong with calling us out when we do wrong. If we're being discriminatory towards white people, then that's fine. Let's talk about it. But let's not conflate it with racism because it's rather childish. And it it just shows to not it shows a lack of understanding of the constructs that we're really talking about. Well, let me let me just let me just be be frank. And and that's why I'm glad that you you made all the different connections between the racism, prejudice, bias, et cetera, because in a simplistic manner, and I must confess to several times looking at it from a simplistic point of view and just, you know, uh, because I'll be, I, sometimes it even, I, I would say, no, I mean, I, I have, I have relatives who are simply, I would have called them racist. Now I think I'm educated in such a manner that I, I should probably redefine how I say those things. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of what needs to uh, change is the way that we have this conversation, because we certainly the the goal of anti-racism 
um, is not to make white people feel bad. It's about awareness. It's about making them aware of the imbalance in power and that abusing that power is is racist. Um, And so what we should do is we should pursue equality so that we never live in a society where white people are discriminatory, which they have been for hundreds of years through policies or that any other group, even black people would 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 exercise that. As long as we focus on equality, then I think that we could correct or, um, you know, circumvent the power dynamics. Now, the next argument, um, does this article cover um, your your black prejudice brother who hates white people as well? I feel like it does. It wasn't written for that specifically, but anybody who is who is uh, discriminatory um, or, or has hate for a specific group, I think that this would be a good way to get them out of your life and to, to realign your inner circle around those who share your values. I think it'll lead to more enriching life. Numero tres says, Plan how to cut racist relatives and friends out of your life. How do you plan that? So you plan by really thinking about, first and foremost, in what ways do you connect with the person? So I use uh, the racist uncle because a lot of people use that as like, uh, because it makes us feel more comfortable. It's a little removed, but not too far removed. So if we talk about the racist uncle and the racist uncle comes to dinner often, then the only way we can cut that person off is by, is really communicating but I want that to be done. And in the article, I kind of express it, like do it in a respectful way. So you want to plan what you'll say to them and you want to respectfully listen and let them know that the door is always open, but that you cannot accept the racism. And that's why the first uh, couple of steps are important because you want to write down, well, why do you think they're racist? Because if you haven't thought about it up to this point, then you're not really prepared to cut them off because you really don't know why you're doing it. What's interesting is, is you, you kind of open a door here. We're saying how th- that you identify who are racist. But what happens if you yourself are maybe racist? But that's why in the beginning of the article, it says, well, do you, you know, you have to be a type of person who is against discrimination and bias and prejudice. So and, and it also says if you don't, if you're not there yet, then you're not ready. Then these these steps are a little too advanced. And what you should do is you should reflect by listening and reading about the lived experiences of black people, people of color and anybody who's been discriminated against bully. That sort of thing will help them. And then once you have those values, then you could proceed through the steps. Numero cuatro y el último, the fourth and last, debriefing after making cuts to your roster. I mean, that is so to the point, you know? Because, you know, by me studying psychology, I care about mental health. And I realized that just because someone is racist doesn't mean that person didn't add value to your life in a number of ways. And it's going to be difficult. It's not easy. And so I wanted that person to reflect about, you know, what did that mean to cut them off? How did that make them feel? And to talk to their support system of people who do share the same values and also to find solace in the fact that you left the door open, that you're not just saying never go away, get away. You're just saying not until you, you know, get this together and then we can come together, you know? You know, Alison, um, I, I love the article, uh, again, like I said, especially from that, 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 that's part that you actually allow folks to redeem themselves. I mean, it was a, it, it was a ra- an article on racism, but it was also, to me, it spoke to me, an article on all the other isms that, that, um, that are out there. So that's one of the reasons that I loved your article. And um, I, I, again, 
I think if we had more people uh, explaining things the way you do, uh, you know, uh, fearlessly doing it, I think it would make a bigger change in our society. So I think everybody needs to get on to Medium. Look up Alison Gaines. I'll have a link to her channel or, or, or her, her articles here because I think you have a lot to offer to the space and to teach. I can tell you right now that I, just in this one interview, I've learned. So thank you so kindly. Alison Gaines, writer, editor, and activist scholar for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. Bye, everyone. You can get any one of my books as a gift for becoming a member of KPFT. Go to kpft.org, click that donate button, select Politics Done Right as the show you're supporting, and go into the gift area and select As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, or you can also get It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, or go to How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. If you get one book... It gives you one particular membership price, two books, you get a discount, and three books, you get an even better discount. So please consider becoming a member of KPFT, and in the process, you get the gifts of the books. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright, on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That's it, folks. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that...